0: What's up, everybody? How are we doing tonight? How are we doing tonight? Yeah. That's better. That's better. Awesome, awesome. Um, is anybody excited for Thanksgiving break? Yeah. Come on now. Um, how many people going to eat a lot of food? And then, more importantly, how many people are going to take like the best nap of the year after? Awesome. Um, well, hey, um, in a dramatic turn, I have a question for you. If you knew that tomorrow was your last day on earth, how would you choose to spend it? If you knew that tomorrow was your last day on earth, how would you choose to spend it? It's a pretty big question, right? Kind of a dark question, I know. Don't worry. We'll have more fun in a little bit. Um, But it's an important question. Well, it's really not that important, but I want to prove a point with it. I don't know what your answer would be. Um, I know mine would be that I would probably try to go see a Jaguars game. Um, I would get the best seat that I could. I'd spend a lot of time with family and friends. Um, And then I'd go, at some point, get all-you-can-eat crab legs because that just seems like a good way to go out, right? Um, I went online, and um, I found, like, a couple of threads where this question was asked. And I wanted to read you guys some answers because it made me laugh, and I think it'll make you laugh. Um, So there were some, like very sweet and touching answers, right? There was the classic, like, I want to have a nice dinner with family and friends. Aw, like, right? Um, but then, you know, there were other things, like, I want to go to a concert of my favorite band. It's a great idea. Um, eat whatever I want. Spend time outside. Go to the beach. One person said they wanted to go skydiving. Anybody, like, skydiving would be on your list for Last Day on Earth? Wow, quite a few of you. That's alarming, kind of. I don't know why. Um, but then there were some more answers that I thought was, uh, was pretty insightful, so let me read you a few of those. Uh, one said, I would spend all the money I have. I, I'm like, that's fair, right? Um, the other one said, I would ask out a dream girl. That's going to be a tough break for her the following day. Just, just you know. So I don't know they thought that one all the way through. Um, another person said, I don't know, rent a boat or something. Um, one person said, sleep. One person said, uh, I want to max out all of my credit cards. This person was smart. They said that they would get an Airbnb mansion. That's pretty, I mean, that's kind of genius, to be quite honest with you. Um, So there there was that, and then, oh, this one I think might have been my favorite. It said, and I quote, pet my cat like a lot. So um, I don't know how you would spend tomorrow if you knew that it was your last day on earth, but I know that you would probably have, you know, an answer kind of like some of the few that we just read. They they might be a little kind of you know a a little off the wall, a little bit crazy. Why? Because uh, when our perspective on life changes, our actions are soon to follow. When our perspective changes. Our actions follow. With that in mind, we're going to jump into this final week of this little sermon series that we've been walking through called The Verge. We've said over these past few weeks that we believe that we are on the verge of God doing something incredible through this ministry, through surrounding ministries here at UNG, uh, through surrounding colleges. Like God is just up to something, and we've seen the ripple effects. And the question that we have been asking over the course of the past few weeks is that if God is going to do something incredible, what is our responsibility to see that happen? Right, so we have been asking like, what is wow? That is um, a wasp on my paper. Stand by, you're about to either see me get stung or you're about to see God's word go into action. Yeah, baby. <laughs> All right. How many of you guys saw that flying around before? Okay. Um, I hope that's dead, and y'all don't need to worship barefoot up here. Um, so, anyways, hard to dial that one back in, isn't it, folks? I felt like I was on a roll there for a minute. Oh, wow. Okay, um, I'll, let me just get back to my place here. All right, The Verge, week three. Um, we want to see God move, and we're asking the question, what do we have to do if that's going to take place? And uh, over the course of these past three weeks, we, we've said, like, first, first week, Pastor Ben preached, he said God moves uh, when people repent. Last week, we said that God moves when people pray. This week, I want us to see that God moves when our perspective shifts. God moves when our perspective shifts, because when our perspective changes, our actions are soon to follow. That's what we just uh, saw when we asked that question. And so uh, some of the most powerful moves of God in the history of the church take place in the beginning of the book of Acts. So I want you to take your Bible and turn tonight to Acts chapter 1. Within the first few chapters of the book of Acts, we see God do some like crazy things, We see that, like within a few short chapters, uh, Jesus ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit shows up in like an incredibly powerful way, like um, this this mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire, people speaking in languages, and everybody's talking, but everybody kind of like knows what the other person is saying. And then, like soon on the heels of that, you see three thousand people added to the church, like in a moment. After that you see someone get healed, like it's just these, this, these crazy, like one after another after another moves of God in a mighty way. And the question that I want to like ask is what caused all of it? Why did all these things take place in such like a, a short period of time? Again, we're we're asking the question, if God's gonna move, what's our responsibility? This is a great place to look. And so as you're turning to Acts chapter 1, hopefully you're there, I want to kind of explain to you what's going on at this point in the book of Acts. At this point, the apostles, the disciples, are are with Jesus. Now, they're with the resurrected Jesus. This is like Jesus, after he's been crucified, after he's been raised from the dead, he's with the disciples, and the disciples, they ask him a question. They say in in verse 6, they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The disciples thought that Jesus was there to kind of like restore uh, a political power, but they didn't realize still the whole plan kind of wasn't the most clear in their minds. Jesus was there for far more than political reasons. He was there for eternal reasons, for spiritual reasons. He was there to do something in their heart, not just their nation. And so they ask him this question, Lord, are you, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now that you've done everything that you've came here to do? Now that you've died, been buried, been raised from the dead? Jesus responds to them in verse 7. And Jesus said, It's not for you to know the times or the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus said to them in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to all like the ends of the earth. He tells the apostles this. Resurrected Jesus right in front of them tells the apostles. The apostles are like, you know, they, they asked him this question. You know, they're, they're right here. They're like, man, like we're gonna, we we have this mission. You know, I, like, I'm imagining Peter, like, uh, like, huddling up with the boys after Jesus just said this. Like, all right, he said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. All right, like, um, John, you're going to take Judea. Um, like, Philip, you take Samaria, like, kind of going back and forth. And then Peter turns around, and he's like, guys, um, slight problem. Jesus, um, he's in the sky. Like, like this was not a part of the plan, and uh, I'm just imagining these disciples like all standing there, just like what do we? I mean, do we just go back home? Like, what what is going on? And in verse ten, we see what takes place. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, as Jesus ascended into heaven, behold, two men stood by them, stood by the apostles in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, this angel or these angels appear next to these guys as they're staring and watching Jesus ascend into heaven going, What is going on? These angels come, they stand next to him and they're like, guys, what are you looking at? Like, why why are you standing here? You've got work to do. Jesus just told you this. And it was like in that moment that we see the perspective of these apostles shift and action is what followed. The, The perspective shifted in their minds like, oh, wait a second. My life is not just about my life. Like, my life is actually this tiny little speck on the timeline of eternity, and what's really going to happen is that one day Jesus, in the same way that he just ascended, he is coming back. And the reality that he's coming back changes absolutely everything about my life. And my hope for us tonight is that our perspective would shift because we would see the reality, just like the disciples did, that Jesus is coming back. Like, last day on earth mode, right? Drop everything. We've got to leverage this life for what matters because Jesus is coming back. When perspective shifts, action is what follows. And so tonight I want to help you gain that perspective. Uh, And I think that if you can gain that perspective, then action is what will follow. So tonight I have three points. I want us to see tonight the truth that Jesus is coming back. And then I want us to see two responses to that shift in perspective. So the shift in perspective is that Jesus is coming back. And the actions that follow is that you should know God and you should share God. You should know the gospel and share the gospel. And we'll jump into that together. My first point tonight that I want you to see is that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And we saw that in verse 10 and 11 of Acts chapter 1. The angel was very clear. In the same way Jesus ascended, so also will he return. Jesus is coming back. Now, I don't know what that does like for you. That might make some of you really uncomfortable. Why? Well, maybe different for different people. Maybe for some of you, when people start to talk about the end times, people start to talk about Jesus coming back, you get like really uncomfortable because you feel like a conspiracy theorist right? You're like, you 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 don't, like all the math and stuff kind of freaks you out because there's people that are like, all right, if you take uh, like the, 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 the year that Jesus was born and then you divide that by the number seven and you multiply that by how many disciples there were and then like how many leaves were on the tree in the Garden of Eden, like eventually what you're going to get is the year 20 whatever and it, like you just sound like a crazy person a little bit, okay? And so some of you, that might make you a little uncomfortable. Some of you may be like, Maybe you're uncomfortable with this idea, this conversation about Jesus coming back. Because the last time you were at a Braves game, you were like, got kind of close to the stadium, and this guy with like a massive poster and a megaphone strapped to his hip yelled at you and said, Jesus is coming back, turn or burn. And you're like, bro, I'm just trying to go watch a baseball game, okay? Like, could you chill for a minute? Maybe it makes you a little uncomfortable. Maybe it makes you uncomfortable because of the unknown. Like, you don't know how this is going to happen. You've read Revelation like a little bit. There was like a dragon. You got scared, so you stopped reading it. Like, I don't know what it does for you, but for some of us, we're like, man, I I really don't want to think about that. But you know, the reality is this, that as followers of Jesus, the return of Jesus is something that we're actually supposed to think about I'll take it one step further. It's actually something that we're supposed to anticipate. I'll take it one step further. It's actually something that we're called to be ready for. Like, like if you're a believer in Jesus, then, then a conversation about Jesus coming back is, is something that like you should anticipate that day. You should be ready for that day. What do I mean? What does it mean to anticipate and be ready for that day? Well, we'll talk a little bit about it tonight, but really what it means is that there are things that look different about your life because when perspective shifts, action is what follows. And so my question to you tonight is, do you have that perspective? Do you live your life in such a way that you are like ready for, you are anticipating Jesus to come back? Because if you did, Again, last day on earth mode, your actions are going to look a lot different. So I want to talk a little bit about the return of Jesus. And and I want to say this before we really jump into it. Like no matter how you see this happening, it's hard to deny that it's coming soon. Can we like at least get there? I don't know if there's like any theologians that want to debate like, you know, pre-trib, post-trib, like post-millennialism and pre-millennialism, like we're, we're not going to go there. Like, no matter how you see it happening, ultimately, I think we can all agree, like, it's coming soon, right? And and you might ask, well, why do I say that? Well, a few reasons. Again, we don't have to agree on the how. What we're going to agree on is the now. We're going to agree that, like, there are things happening. What I want to really do is show you in Scripture, there there were some things said about the last days, and now when you look at our world, these things are, like, lining up. He's coming soon. I say that for a few reasons. One is the nation of Israel. You guys seen like in the news what's going on in the nation of Israel? It's, it's pretty wild. The, the nation of Israel, if you read in the Old Testament, is God's chosen people. And think about that what you will, but one thing that you can't deny is that something significant is going on on that tiny little piece of land in the Middle East. Something significant, something unlike any other nation on the world, or in the world. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel really followed this pattern. And the pattern was rebellion, restoration. Rebellion, restoration. They would turn away from God. They would follow their own gods. They would commit these like crazy, gross, heinous sins. And ultimately, God would do the work of restoring them back to himself. Then they would turn. They would rebel. God would, res- would restore. Rebellion, restoration. Rebellion, restoration. All through the Old Testament. Well, then you make it to the New Testament. Jesus comes on the scene. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus makes a profound statement about Israel. He says this. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that's Israel, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. In other words, like I have sent people like on my behalf to try to turn you away from your wicked ways, but every time I send someone, y- you kill them. You don't listen to them. And in the same way, you're about to kill me. This is Jesus talking, right? He's saying, uh, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing? Jesus is saying, how many times, Israel, have I tried to gather you back to myself? Have I tried to restore you and you constantly resist? He goes on to say, See, your house uh, is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus tells Israel there, like, your house is going to be left desolate. Not super clear about what that means, but something's going to happen to Israel. We don't know what it is something's going to happen. Your house will be left desolate and, and you're not going to see me again. Like There will not be restoration until you, Israel, say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's insightful, cool, but what gets even crazier is when you look at the history of Israel throughout the world. Like it wasn't until, it wasn't, but just a few years later, in AD 70, the temple was destroyed you know that if, if you know like uh, some world history, like the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. A.D. 130, the Jews are kicked out of Israel. The very thing that Jesus said would happen takes place. Israel is no longer a nation. The house was left desolate. Israel is no more. It becomes Palestine. And the story seems to be over. But then, like this is wild. 1,800 years later, in 1948, Israel regains independence. Israel becomes a nation again. And today, like for the very first time, we're starting to see Jewish believers in Jesus, like Jewish people that are saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There are more Jewish believers in Jesus right now in, in, in like all of Israel's history back until the time of the Old and New Testament. Like that, There are some significant things happening. On top of that, you, you've got the fact that Israel's being persecuted. We see this in the news, right? Like Scripture literally says that there will be enemies rise up against Israel in the last days. Scripture says that in the last days, not only will the Jewish people believe, but so will the Gentiles, so will the non-Jews. You guys re- realize that by 2033, It's estimated that the Bible will finally be available to every single known language on planet earth. Like there are some significant things taking place. The Bible also says that there will be an increase in lawlessness in the last days. I don't even have to go into that for you to realize that that's taking place, right? Again, we don't have to agree on the how we just have to agree on the now. We, we need to agree about the fact that Scripture says some things are going to happen in the last days. And, and the, the world at this point, like we are starting to see those two things line up. The only thing I want you to realize is this, that Jesus is coming soon. We've got to have that perspective. We've got to get a death grip on that reality. Jesus is coming soon. He's going to make all things new, a new heaven and a new earth. And for believers, that is like the best news you could possibly hear. But for somebody who doesn't know Jesus, for somebody who doesn't trust in Jesus, like that is anything but good news because it means that Jesus is coming to restore, but he's also coming to judge. And if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, he, he's going to judge your sin, which means you're going to have to spend eternity separated from Him. And so my second point tonight is this: to know the gospel. Our perspective has got to shift. We've got to realize that Jesus is coming soon, but the next thing that we've got to realize uh, it, or the, the actions that should follow that, that shift in perspective is that Jesus is coming, or is that we have to know the gospel. If you would uh, turn to Acts chapter two, Acts chapter two, so it's it's one chapter over. What what we just saw in, in Scripture in Acts chapter one is that Jesus ascended into heaven, right? He 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 ascends into heaven, and what takes place after that is that the apostles immediately get together and they start praying. And, and after they're praying, the Holy Spirit comes in a powerful way. Again, tongues of fire, mighty rushing wind, people speaking in different languages, but they all understand what's being said. The Holy Spirit comes and literally, this is in the Bible. People look at that group of apostles when the Holy Spirit comes and they're like, they are drunk out of their minds. It's in the Bible. You should read it. That's what it says. And Peter, he's like, uh, we're not drunk out of our minds. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. And Clearly, Peter has never seen Athens on game day because he knows that's a very real possibility. Um, and it's not a good sight. Uh, but, anyways, so he, he's like, We're not drunk. Let me tell you what you're seeing. And Peter starts into this, this sermon, basically. He, he gives a sermon, and that sermon's got one point. And the one point of Peter's sermon is it's all true. It's all true. He tells these people that are looking at, at the apostles going, hey, I think that they're just drunk. He, he looks at these people and he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's all true. Everything in this book is all true. He, he says the prophets, everything that the prophets wrote about, what we just saw, like the prophet said in the last days, this is going to happen. Read in chapter 2, verse 16. Peter, uh, he, he reads from the prophet Joel. It says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now, this is an excerpt from Joel. "'In the last days it shall be,' God declares, "'that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, "'that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, "'your young men see visions, your old men dream dreams.'" Peter says, it's all true. In addition to that, he, he jumps in after those verses. He's like, everything that Jesus said, like all the miracles that he did, claiming to be God, it's all true. Things happened the way he said they would happen. And, and he just told us before he ascended that he is coming back, which means that we have a response. In the same way that Jesus said that that he would be crucified, he'd be killed, he also said that he would raise from the dead, and he did it. And that resurrection means that Jesus can look at us, the, the broken, the weary, the hurting, the burnout from our sin, he can look at us with all power and authority and say, come to me, I will restore you, I will forgive you, I will wash you clean, I will set you free. It doesn't matter how low you have fallen, I am here to pick you up everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And one day, that Jesus is coming back. And if you don't make the decision, Peter's preaching this to these people, if you don't make the decision to accept that free gift, then his return is going to mean the restoration of those who have placed their faith in him But simultaneously, it's going to mean the judgment of those who haven't. Like, your sin will be paid for. Jesus has offered to pay for it himself. And it's a free gift. All you've got to do is place your faith in him and what he did for you on the cross. He's offering to pay for your sin, but if he doesn't, you will and and that's the message of Peter to these people he's saying you've got to have a shift in your perspective you've got to understand that Jesus is coming back and in verse 37 read with me it says like the response of these people acts 2:37 when they heard this they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles what shall we do About 3,000 souls, 3,000 people made the decision to follow Jesus, all coming from a shift in perspective, a realization that Jesus is coming back. Do you have that perspective? Like, do you have the perspective that Jesus is coming back? Like, have you wrestled with that? Do you have a death grip on that reality? Have you been cut to the heart? Just like those people. That phrase, cut to the heart in the Greek, it means to be like uncomfortably prodded. Some of you have come to revive, like all semester. You've sat in those chairs and you have been uncomfortably prodded, not by me, by the Holy Spirit. Like God is trying to do a work in your heart. You've sat in those chairs and every single week, when we've given you the opportunity to follow Jesus, you've turned around and walked right out those doors. Y'all, Jesus is coming back they're like you've got to understand that perspective he is coming back and if you make the decision to to not place your faith in him it will mean separation from him for all of eternity if jesus if you feel that that he's doing something in your heart you, you need to understand like your perspective is beginning to shift and it's your actions that need to follow so you need to make that decision tonight you need to know and accept the gospel so my, my third point tonight, I said, you've gotta, I said, Jesus is coming back. I said, in light of that perspective, what our first response is, is, is to accept the gospel, to know the gospel, but, but finally, it's to share the gospel. It's to share the gospel. When our perspective shifts, our actions will follow. Some of you, your perspective has to shift in such a way that you recognize Jesus is coming back. You've already made the decision to follow Him, but you have to realize that you have a responsibility to pass that baton onto to the, the next person. Like We have the greatest hope of all of the world, and we have a responsibility to share that hope. Let's look at what the apostles do next. Chapter 3. Preaching three chapters today. How crazy is that? So, uh, Acts chapter 3, let's read in verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, this man asked to receive alms. Alms are like money, right? Um, He asks to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at the man, as did John. And he said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. keep on reading a few verses. I don't know that these will be on the screens. Uh, And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Let's talk about what we just saw, because that is pretty significant. Peter and John, two apostles, two, two of the people that were, that were, again, front row seats, seeing all these mighty moves of God. Peter and John are going up to this temple to pray. On their way there, they pass a man who is, who is lame. He cannot walk. Uh, he, he's likely been laid there by his family. Is, if, you, if you dig a little bit, this is what you'll discover, that likely this man's family members have laid him in front of the temple. Why? Why? because since he had nothing to offer physically, he had no way to like contribute financially to the family. So they would carry this man, they would leave him by the temple, and he was told to beg. He was told to ask for money, and that was his financial contribution to his family. It is something that he probably did every single day. And Peter, John come up, they walk by, they lock eyes with this guy. And this guy says what's probably a well-rehearsed line up until uh, this point. You know, do you have any silver? Do you have any gold? I'm looking for some money. He's a beggar. And Peter and John, they look at this guy, and they're like, what you want, we don't have. Silver and gold, I don't have. But what I do have is not something you want, but something you need. So, so the apostles, the, these guys, Peter and John, they give this guy not what he wants, they give him what he needs. You guys ever been given something that you need rather than something that you want? Um, Christmas time's coming up, your stockings are coming, Right? Uh, I don't know about you, but this is these are like stocking stuffers—things you need, not things necessarily that you want. It's like you know the Christmas morning comes around. Oh, we got to start with stockings, and so you pull all the gifts out and you unwrap. It's like a stapler. Wow, awesome! I needed some socks. Oh my goodness, I got so many more, but I'll just add these to the collection. Um, and you know, you got to get through what you need before you get to what you want. Now, I've gotten to the point where I really value stocking stuffers. I only make so much money, so I, like, I appreciate some socks. I'm not spending my money on socks, right? So, you know, I'm, anyways. Um, these, these disciples, these apostles, they give this man not what he wants, but they give him what he needs. You guys realize we don't have what the world wants as followers of Jesus, but we do have what the world needs. Like the world wants money, success, accomplishment, status, and a relationship with Jesus is not going to get them any of those things. And they need to know that. But what we, while we don't have what they want, we do have what they need. Because in a relationship with Jesus is found hope for the hopeless, freedom for those in addiction. Uh, salvation for the lost. Like, we don't have what the world wants, but we have what the world needs. And there are people out there who do not realize that we have what they need. They're crying out for things that they want. Meanwhile, like, we ultimately know what they need. And so we have a responsibility to deliver that to them. Because we have what the world needs, we have a responsibility to share it. But here's the thing. Some of us are too concerned about what the world will say back. Some of us are too concerned about what the world will say back, how, how the world will respond. And I'll just say this. like I don't think that there are any followers of Jesus in here tonight who are like, yeah, I don't want other people to know about that message. Like I really don't believe that any of you tonight are like, yeah, I don't want people to know about Jesus. I don't want people to know the gospel. I don't think anyone in here would say that. I, I, think that the, I don't think that that's the problem. I think the problem is that there are a bunch of believers who hate the idea that sharing the gospel could cost them some popularity. There are a lot of people who hate the idea that sharing the gospel might cause them to be looked at funny, to, to be talked to in a rude way. There are a lot of people that are fearful of that. You know what Jesus says in John chapter 15? He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Uh, Like in other words, this tells us that if the world loves you, you're probably not that different than the world. Like if you don't say some things that may be like great against culture a little bit, you probably look a whole lot more like the world than you do like Jesus. Like we're called as followers of Jesus to deliver this message because we got to have the perspective that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back soon. And so we have a responsibility to carry that message. But maybe, maybe to you, your, your problem, it's not that you're worried about what people think about you. It's just that the thought never crosses your mind. This is me. Like, I will, I've will, i been convicted about this part of this sermon specifically. Like, a lot of times, I will go about my life, and I will, I will just be so focused on me that there are people next to me that need the gospel. And I am too focused on what's in front of me. I'm too focused on myself to, to see those people, to recognize them, to look them in the eye. I want you to look at verse, I believe this verse 4. I thought this was significant. It says, Peter... This is as Peter and John are walking up to the temple. It says Peter directed his gaze at the man, as did John. The NIV, I believe, says like they locked eyes with him, like they they looked directly at him. You know, I, I think for a lot of us, we go through life and we like see people all around us who need Jesus. And the problem, is not that we, it's not, the problem is not that we don't see them. The, the problem is that we know they're there, we just choose to look the other way. You guys know what I'm saying? Like we know that there are people around us who need Jesus, but we make the decision to look the other way. Peter and John in this passage, man, they look directly at this guy. They see his need for a savior. They give him not what he wants. They give him what he needs. I I don't know about you guys, uh, but for me, it is so easy to go about life and be so focused on myself, so focused on what's in front of me that there can be people next to me that need the gospel. I know they're there, but I, I make the conscious decision to look the other way. Like, Clearly, I still lack a little bit in this perspective that, that we've all got to have, right? It is so crucially important that we gain this perspective that, like, the king of the universe will return. The people next to us that need the gospel, that don't know the gospel, like, they are on the brink of spending eternity separated from Jesus unless we make the decision to step out of our comfort zones and just say something a little bit uncomfortable. And for many of us, that like discomfort in, like, how do I do it? That's holding you back. And so tonight, the way that I want to end. Is I want to share with you like just a really practical way to share the gospel. There are all kinds of different ways out there. Um, this is just a way that I have seen work. You know, it's been really effective. I don't think it's super awkward. You know, you'll get a lot of people that tell you, you know, like when you if you want to share the gospel and you go, you have a conversation with people and you wait for like keywords. You know, you wait for them to bring up the weather and like, man, it's pretty hot outside today. And you're like, you know what else is hot? Hell. And so that's like your. <laughs> That's like your thing, right? Um, I don't recommend that at all. Um, but what I, uh, what I would recommend is uh, what I'm about to show you, this method um, that's referred to as the Kennedy questions. And um, I'm going to go into these questions, and I kind of want this to serve a twofold purpose. One, I want those of you who are followers of Jesus, I, I want you to hear these questions, and I want you to, to write them down. And I want you to think about how you could use these as a strategy for sharing the gospel. Like, this is a really effective tool. So that's the first purpose that I want these two questions to have. The second question, or the second purpose is this. This is going to be our time of response. And so as I go into these two questions, really what I want every single person in this room thinking is, what's my answer to these questions? Like, I want you guys to think about this. Like, really think about your answer to these two questions. And the first question is this. You have a conversation with somebody. um, At some point in that conversation, find a way to go, hey, um, on a scale of one to ten, ten being not certain, I'm sorry, one being not certain, and ten being absolutely sure. If you were to die tonight, how certain are you that you would go to heaven? One being not so certain and ten being absolutely sure. How certain are you that you would go to heaven? That's the first question. And that's a big question, right? And if they respond in with any number that's less than a ten, you've got some work to do. Um, and I don't mean that in like a, man, you've got to like, you know, break out the textbooks and all that. It's just that there's a conversation that could be had. Because you guys realize, like, you have, without a doubt, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the ability. As a matter of fact, your answer to that question should be a 10. It shouldn't be anything short of that. Like You should have confidence in that if you're a follower of Jesus. And so, um, again, one being not so certain, 10 being sure, uh, how certain are you that if you were to die tonight that you would go to heaven? And the second question is this. When you make it like when when you die, you stand before Jesus, He looks at you, and he says, "Hey, why should I let you into heaven? What's your response?" So, so you ask them this question, the scale of 1 to 10, uh, not so certain, absolutely sure, how certain are you? If you were to die tonight, that you'd go to heaven? Uh, they answer, let's say that they say a 7. You respond, okay, so your answer's a 7. Uh, just, you know, quick question, like, about why it's a 7. If, if Jesus were to look you in the eyes after you've died, like, you stand before him, and he goes, hey, why should I let you in? What is your response? Do you guys realize that if the answer to that question has anything to do with you, Jesus is not, like, you're not getting in. Like, if your answer is anything like, man, well, look at, like, I have done enough good things. Or I, I, I have outweighed my, my wrong, my sin, with the amount of good, like, if there's anything that starts with I, to answer that question other than I have placed my faith in the hope of the gospel I have placed my faith in the reality that Jesus you paid for my sins and I trusted you for that if your answer is anything other than that then Jesus's response to you is going to be what he says in scripture I never knew you so two very simple questions like those are just simple and easy questions I know they're big questions but like this is a big deal you're not going to get into gospel conversations by you know just doing the dancing game and like hey you know, you know like like just kind of trying to sneak it in there like just be bold and ask the question. So those are kind of two very practical ways to share your faith. Let me, let me do this tonight. Um, let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm gonna lead us in a time of response. I told you I wanted you know those of you who are believers. I I wanted you to write those questions down, but for those of you tonight who, like, I mean, really, I said this for everybody in the room, I wanted us to be thinking about our answer to those questions. And so I want to do this. I want to ask you tonight, on a scale of one to ten, one being, I'm not so sure, and ten being, I am absolutely certain. If you were to die tonight, how certain are you that you would go to heaven? If your answer is anything other than a 10, I just want to invite you tonight to just slip your hand up in the air. I'm not going to like, you know, come for you. I'm not going to call you up and ask you to talk to us. Like I simply just want to invite you to slip your hand up in the air if your answer is anything less than a 10. Awesome. Awesome. Absolutely. Super cool. So, so here's my follow-up question to those of you who just raised your hand. If Jesus were to look you in the eyes and say, hey, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? And again, as I just said, if your answer is anything that has to do with you, Jesus' response to you would be, I never knew you. I never knew you, but tonight you have the opportunity. Those of you who just raised your hand, I saw three of you. You have the opportunity tonight to place your faith in Jesus. And that is such a simple thing. All you have to do is is, is trust tonight. That, that Jesus, in his death on the cross and his resurrection, that he paid for your sins. And you've got to gotta say, Jesus, I am placing my faith in you. I'm allowing you to pay for my sins. I do not want to be the one to pay for my sins. And so when I stand before you and, and you ask me, why is it that I should let you in? My response to you is simply because I placed my faith, my trust in you for my salvation. That's all you got to do. And so, y'all, the, the ones of you who... Raise your hand. Um, after service tonight, I'm going to be right down front. And I would love to share with you what just some next steps can be. I want you to leave here for certain with, with that number being a 10. I want you to leave confident that you, if you were to die tonight, that you would go to heaven. Why? Because there is this reality that we have talked about all tonight, that Jesus is coming soon. And that change in perspective, that shift in perspective should change everything about our life. We invite everybody to stand. And uh, I want to pray for us and then the band is going to lead us into a time of worship. Again, for those of you who raise your hand, we to be right down front. I'd love to have a conversation with you. Do not leave here tonight with that answer being anything short of a 10. Let me pray. Father, we love you. And God, we are trusting that you move in power tonight. God, you have saved so many souls over the course of this semester. And Lord, we know you're not done. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move in power, uh, that you would stir in hearts, God, that people would be cut to the heart, just like we read tonight in your word. Father, I pray that you would move in a powerful way in this building, and I pray that you would be glorified as we worship you uh, for this one last song. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We praise you. And it's in your name we pray all these things. Amen.